Father, this morning we just come to you. We look to you, Lord. The author of life. We thank you this morning for your mercies. It's by your mercy and your grace we saw another day. We just want to thank you, Lord. One more day in the land of the living. One more day to run this race. One more day to put things right with God and with man. One more day to prepare for the day of the Lord. Oh, Father, we just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. As we come now to the ministry of the Word of God, we just surrender ourselves into thy hands. You speak to us, Lord. Wherever your people are, wherever they are listening from now, or in the hours or days to come, the Word of God never loses its power. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For your Word is forever settled in the heavens. All I pray, Lord, that you speak. Beyond the words of man, only the Word of God has the power to set captives free, to heal the sick, to deliver the oppressed, to save and to redeem sinners. Your word has that power. So Father, I release this word into thy hands. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. First we will turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are those incredible Invitations of Jesus. If you look at verse 28, it begins with an invitation. Come. There's so many invitations of God in the Bible. If you look at the, the dispens, we call it dispensations in the, in the Bible, how God dealt with different people at different times. If you put it in chronological order from Adam to Noah, it's ten generations. Then you go from Adam, sorry, Noah to Abraham. It's another ten generations. Then you have from Abraham to Moses, and then the law comes. So actually from Adam to Moses could be bracketed into one with three divisions over there. And then you have, because Abraham to Moses is the time of the patriarchs. Then Moses to Jesus is the law. And then in between in the period of transition, and then the age of grace begins. But if you look at any of this dispensation, there was one thing common about every dispensation. The men who changed were the men who heard. To hear the voice of God never changed in any dispensation, whether you were in the conscience period, or whether you were in the period of the patriarchs, whether you were under the law, 
of whether you were under grace. The key thing always was that, will you hear my voice? The law could come late, but even when the law came, God was always saying, if you hear my voice and obey my commandments, because you can always obey commandments without hearing the voice and all we become is Pharisees. It's hearing that voice that changes. So here is this incredible invitation. And this invitation is going on. It's been going on for 2,000 years. This invitation has been going on. Come, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. It's an invitation. It is a response to the invitation that changes the life of man. All of us, our life changes. by and Every morning, every morning when we rise up, the call is still the same. Come to me. If you are heavy laid, be here another more three more weeks. Till 7th it is locked down, another three more weeks. So it's going to the end of this month. Okay, We may be secure because we are, we know the Lord. We have experienced the hand of his, power of his right hand. But a lot of people, even within the Christian community who are, who are panicking, who are panicking. Every day we get the text, me, my wife gets the text from organizations because government is out of money. So there are a lot of orphanages, we call them CCI, child care institutions. We ourselves run two. They have no money. And they have no money. And the donors have dried up. And the government who is supposed to support some of them who take government support, we never did. The government has no money. So you have suddenly have old age homes and children and there is no resources, no food. So constantly, and some of them are Christian institutions. Okay, So you always realize that every day you wake up, there is this burden, the burden of sin, the burden of unbelief, the burden of how to face each day. Like once the lockdown is over, it's when people will realize how many have lost their jobs? How many really want to come down? Yesterday, after the lockdown, yesterday for the first time, the first train departed. It was from Hyderabad, Sikandrabad, taking uh, 1,500 migrants from here to Jharkhand. They went back. Okay, and the government kept it very secret because they didn't want a station being flooded. So those who were work, workers who were working at IIT Hyderabad, they were transported. Okay. Now, how many will want to come back? All kinds of things are there. So, all kinds of burden people carry, but people do not realize. What is the thing that sets you free? The only thing that can set you free first is hearing that voice. Come to me. Come to me. We have to hear. We have to hear. Behind the voice of man, we have to hear the invitation of God. Because... All the voices in the world are also telling, come. There's only one person to whom you can go who will give you rest. And we don't realize the entire, entire uh, cry of the human soul is primarily for rest. And it doesn't matter what you are, who like last week in India, look, if you look in terms of fame, we lost Two prominent film actors, right? Two pro- and they were not very old. One was 67, the other was younger than me. 52 or something. He was younger than me. Both, both lost, okay, during this lockdown. So what you see is that it does not matter where you have reached. The cry of the human soul is the cry for rest. And sometimes we don't even realize that is what we need. And people run hither and hither 
and never find that rest. But if you look over there, there are two rests that God mentions. In verse 28, there is one rest. Come to me, all who, all you who labor are heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is basically the weight of sin. The primary weight of sin. And believers, how do you put in there? Oh, I have met Christ. I have been forgiven. This is the weight of unbelief. Maybe forgiven of your sin. But that doesn't mean you have overcome your unbelief. We struggle with unbelief. The apostles struggled with unbelief. Every day they struggled when they walked walked with Jesus. Though they are experiencing his provision. And he asked them the same thing. I sent you without bag, without money, without a staff. Did you lack anything? He said, no. But did they struggle with unbelief? Yes. Did God feed them for 40 years in the desert? Yes. Did they, did they have the best of life in terms of protection, health, food, everything? Yes. Did they struggle with unbelief? Yes. So there is something which Christians go through. Christians go through this. This is the burden of unbelief. And unbelief for a believer is a heavier burden than for the man who does not know God. The man who does not know God is left with his own options. And we are not left with our own options alone. We know on one side there is God, on the other side we have our options and we are always divided. And the problem with the divided man is that the divided man goes to God. God says, you get nothing. <laughs> you get nothing. Okay, so we, we, I, I'm not saying God doesn't take care, but I'm saying about that rest, you know. So constantly, the second rest is something else. Second rest is the rest from unbelief. The first rest is the rest from sin. The second rest is what he gives you from unbelief. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the thing is, all is about taking that yoke. Okay. And uh, we look at it and says, how can a yoke work? But we need to realize, if you put it in terms of, let's say, in India, two buffaloes or two bulls, two oxen. Okay. It is a yoke that makes the burden light. You take the yoke off, the work is very difficult. Very difficult. The yoke makes it very difficult, easy. We are all called to work. Everybody is called to work. Everybody is called to work. And he says, what makes your work easy is the yoke. Like we teach for young people, it's good for a young man to bear a yoke. In his young age, okay, so all the yoke you are going to be waking up early in the morning, disciplining yourself, still not yet, okay, still not. You are young man, I go one look into that room and I see all the dust and the mess I know you still haven't learned. You come to my house and see if anything is out of order, okay, sweep, swap in the morning, that is practice, okay. So what happens is a day will come when you are on your own and you will realize that one thing is going to eat your time, eat your time, okay, one thing, these are little, little things, okay. You are coming along really, really good, but there are a lot of areas, okay? These are things which you will only... Problem is you will not feel this yoke when you grow older and get married. Your wife will feel it. 
She has to pick your socks, your shoes, your underwear, your this thing, because you will leave it all. And I'm telling you honestly what happens in married homes. It's simply because that man who got married never carried a yoke in the days of his youth. His mother carried it for him when he was young. And when he was a bachelor, he lived like that, everything. And then when he gets married, the yoke is passed on to the wife. And what happens is, we have only a certain amount of time in our life, everybody. Remember, these are all time killers. Yoke brings efficiency. It brings efficiency. It helps you, helps you with, with like using that one thing that makes every man same before God. It is God has given us only, everybody only 24, one slice. Every day, 24 hours. So God says, take my yoke upon you. That yoke, his yoke. Okay? And learn from me. Okay? He says, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He says, learn from me. Okay? I learn from me. And one thing he puts over there in, in, like I would say in, it should be in italics. Learn from my nature. Only the gentle and the lowly can be taught. First part, others cannot be taught. Okay, learn from me. I could be taught all my life. And I learned. Scripture says he learned through his sufferings and God made him perfect. Every age has his growing, he's growing. He's perfect at seven, he's perfect at eight, he's perfect. That's the perfection God is demanding from us. He's not demanding the perfection of Christ. What am I? How many years have been I been in the Lord? He expects that perfection, like you look at a baby who's newborn and you look at it, you look at all its digits, everything, and you say, you know, it's a perfect baby. You don't be, expect a 30-year-old perfection with that baby, no. And you look at one year and the baby starts walking, the baby starts talking and all, and you say, you know, it's perfect for one year. That God demands. That is what he's demanding. But that comes from learning. And one of the attitudes, primary attitudes is that, remember, he can only teach the gentle and the lowly in heart. And in his entire life was that. Entire life. He was yoked to the father. He was yoked to the father. And he found his burden was very, very light. Okay, Very, very, very light. I will tell you two examples about how it happens. Real life here and uh, history. Uh, Joshua chapter, you don't have to go there. Joshua chapter 1 begins with by saying, my servant Moses is dead. No? Till Moses was, till the last day Moses was alive and hadn't gone up the mountain with God, Joshua is okay. He's fine. Okay. Till I am around, Pastor Vijay has no burden. He's free to preach. The minute I say I'm going for one year, then palpitations will begin. You mean I have to run all this? I say, yes, you have to run all this. Okay, you need to realize, how did Jesus manage? Jesus managed because he came under the yoke of the Father. And therefore, the Father managed everything. How did the Father manage? What did he have to do every day? Here. It's the only thing. Here. The biggest and the most effective part of being yoked to God is hearing. Is hearing. That's the key. That gives you rest. That's where rest comes from. Rest from everything. It comes from hearing. And that's the most important part. And hearing means both ears. Both ears. You have to listen with both ears. Okay? And you hear. So this is what you 
need to understand. And those who are hearing for the new young ones who are listening, who are not probably not even yet really, really saved, first thing you need is the rest from the burden of sin. You are tired, you are weary, you are angry, you are bitter, all kinds of things. That's a burden. You are, you are tormented, you are mad, and then you go into your company, you get drunk, you do all kinds of things which is you are not realizing. It's the burden that is causing you to do that. You have no peace. You have no peace. You tried religion, but religion does not give you any peace. There is nothing that can happen that will bring you peace until you come to God. You have to be made right with God. Peace comes from God. Doesn't come from. If I could manufacture peace, then that peace would last. No man can manufacture peace. So Romans 5 verse 1 is very, very clear. When we come to therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There are two kinds of peace the Bible talks of. One is the peace with God and the other is the peace of God. The peace of God will not come until you have peace with God. Okay. Like, if I went to sleep last night angry, upset, when I wake up in the morning, I will realize, what am I missing? I'm missing the peace of God. And the reason I have Missing the peace of God is that because I have broken my peace with God. With God. It's not that I am condemned or this thing, but I have, okay? So I need to, by faith, go back to God. And the Spirit of God says, this is why you lost your peace with me. So the peace with God, therefore having been just. And the only way you will, from the beginning of your life to the end of the life, is by faith. Looking at the work Jesus Christ has done. Jesus Christ has done the work which Jesus has done. So this is a continuous, continuous, continuous process. Okay, For the simple ones, for the new ones, young ones who are listening, let me tell you, there is no other way. Justified is a term meaning just as if you'd never sinned. He takes your sin nature itself away. Meaning it's not gone away, but he cancels it off. And imparts his righteousness in you. So now you have peace with God. You don't have to worry about dying and going to hell. Simple as that. Simplest form. You don't have to worry. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. Therefore no. Lot of people want justice. And says why does not God intervene. This is even till yesterday last night. I was getting questions. And this way not from Christians. These are Hindus. They are asking this question. What about this case. And what about this case. And what about this case. Why doesn't God intervene. I will tell you why God does not intervene. Directly into each of these cases. There is a day set for that. Okay. If God intervenes, then he has to intervene into everything. Everything. Then we are all gone. All are gone. Everybody is gone. We want selective intervention. Because we look from our person, this is too bad. And this is okay, because I am also there, this is okay. But this is too bad. God says, no, I am apart from you all. I am holy and righteous. Nothing is okay. So if I Deal with the murderer and the rapist. Then I have to deal with the liar. The fearful. Okay. I have to deal with everybody. That means judgment is set. 
Okay, so he doesn't intervene now. He is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So he gives time. Gives time. And the one other way we, the only way we cannot perish is we come to God. Without, we don't look at small sin and big sin. We come to God as we are and say, we fall at his feet for mercy and say, Lord, I believe in the work of Lord Jesus Christ. That's how peace comes. That's what Bible says. We are saved by grace. Okay, grace. And it's absolutely free gift. You can never earn your salvation. Please. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. My dear brethren who are from the Catholic background, whether you are listening, young person, priest or nun, please remember this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You will not be saved by your works. God looks at your good works, but that doesn't save you. That's good. It's a good thing. It helps a lot of people. It does not save you. Meaning, lighting candles and doing your rosary and novena or whatever things that does not save anybody. You are saved by God, by grace. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. When we all stand before God, the greatest to the least in the kingdom, we'll all stand on one same platform, saved by grace and grace alone. Post-grace, post-salvation is verse 10. For that also we have to hear. Okay, For we are his workmanship. Now you have been made in Christ Jesus. The new person has been born again. Created in Christ Jesus. The new born. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is also not my works. That is his works. For that again I have to hear. And we struggle because we try to do good. We go back to the reward. One of the things which I remember Derek Prince saying is that he says three categories of people. One is uh, Muslims. One is Jews. And one are Catholics. Okay. Jews, Muslims and Catholics. When they come to the Lord, really have a genuine salvation experience. If they are not careful, somewhere or other, they always fall back to the law. Because they came from that. So they, unlike anybody else, have to guard themselves to walk in grace. See, a Hindu convert who comes through never falls usually into that because he never came from the law. And people like me who had nothing before coming to Christ also doesn't fall under the law. Because I had no religious background at all. I came out of a vacuum to Christ. Because I was never brought up in the church. Okay, But anybody who has come through the law to grace, that is a Judaizer. These are all Judaizers are in the church. These are not Jewish people. These are Jewish converts. They, and the same thing will happen to those who came from Islam to Christ. After some time, because the power of legalism. And what he, one of the powerful statements he makes is that, he says, if you read the letters to 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians, it is all uh, about the morality and all, but he's very gentle and kind in all that. But he says he is so tough in the book of Galatians, that he's so hard and tough against the legalistic than the immoral person. He says there's more hope for the immoral person than for the legalist. Yeah, and that's exactly that happens when Jesus is walking. The sinners, the prostitutes, the publicans, and the Pharisee will not get in at all. And that is what we always have to guard our heart again, because God doesn't look at it the same way. 
Same way. Because the minute you move from a righteousness that is by grace and grace alone, the only other option is self-righteousness. There is no third righteousness. And self-righteousness is the biggest deception. Because the minute you become self-righteous, you start becoming critical and judgmental about everybody. And there is no room for mercy or grace in your life. That is the case. There are only two kinds of righteousness. One is a righteousness that comes from God and God alone. And the other is a righteousness that comes by works, which is self-righteousness. It is a self-working out righteousness. It is self-righteousness. And God is talking about self-righteousness. Your self-righteousness within court is like filthy rags before me. That's what he is talking about. So we have to be very, 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 very careful about this, how we walk. We, we. GDC has to be very, very careful because we hear the word so much. And uh, in many ways, we may know the word very well than others. But walk that narrow razor edge. Otherwise, you know what? So we, more than others, those who hear more, have to keep going back to God to that invitation. Come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me, Lord. Go to him and confess every day. My salvation is by faith and faith alone, O Lord. Make me a man of grace, a woman of grace, a woman of mercy. Help me to balance this walk. And after that comes the second part. This is what we were talking about, the salvation of the soul. Come to me, if you, uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Okay, come to me. Yeah, can we go there? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my my burden is light. Not our burden. His burden is light. Okay. This is where the first generation failed. If you look at Hassis in types, they came out of the out of Egypt. They didn't have to do anything. Nobody can do anything. All you can do is believe in the blood of the Passover lamb. Like yesterday I said, you see the incredible mercy of God, even in the first nine plagues with Egypt. Just let my people go. Just let me go. Let them go. Nobody has to die. So he's hitting the possessions and the thing and all. And even now he's trying to teach all the nations. He's broken the staff of bread. Primarily God is dealing with nations and with his people. He's saying just stop harming my people. They haven't done anybody harm in any nation. The genuine Christians I'm talking. I'm not talking about the crooks who walk around in the names of Christ. I'm talking about the genuine Christians in China or anywhere. They harm nobody. But the governments are after them for their lives. And he's telling them, why don't you leave them alone? Because the next thing will be worse than this, what I will do with you. Just leave my people alone. They're harming nobody. Allow them to live their lives and do their work which have committed into their hands. He says, but what happened? The first generation came out. But they did not learn the second part. What is that? The rest for their souls. Every day God was offering them rest. Every day the rest was there. Manna comes down. Water is there. All they had to was trust God. Eat the manna. Drink the water. And keep walking in faith. But they did not have rest for the souls. You know? And the second part is where we all struggle, rest for our soul. So if you go to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, you will see. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, that means we have to enter his rest. So there is a doorway. 
there is a place of rest and we have to enter. Let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So it is the possibility is there. Any believer can come short of his rest. You have to enter and see that you don't come short of that rest. Verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Not mixed with faith in those who heard it. Why? They also heard the gospel. We also heard the gospel. The only reason the gospel does not work. The gospel has to be heard every day. Okay? The invitation is there every day. That's that's the living gospel. Come to me. Okay, if you're tired, come to me. If you're upset, come to me. If you're worried, come to me. If you're angry, come to me. Whatever it is, come to me. Don't go to anybody else. Come to me. I'm the only one who can give you rest. The doctor can give you medicine. I can give you rest. The psychiatrist will give you counsel. I give you rest. Okay. The rest is something else. Rest is, it is a, it's a different dimension all together. And he is promising us rest. And he says, it did not profit them or us if we don't mix it with faith. We have to believe. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. For we who have believed do enter that rest. The question is, have we believed? How do we know we have believed? Our each day, how do we know we are walking by faith is proportional to the rest we experience. The rest we experience. There is a walking by faith has theology, has theory, and there is a practice. And you have to always judge yourself. Why do, why, why do I feel at rest? Is it because I feel good today? Is it because there's enough money in the bank? Three more weeks of lockdown, but I got enough provisions in the house. Don't attach your rest to any of those things. That's a false rest. False rest. It's a false rest. A rest has to be absolutely spiritually discerned. Is it in God or not? For we who believe do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's interesting. Although the works are finished from the foundation of the world. You know what it means? It means God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. Let us begin, let us say this is the beginning of the world. This is the end of the world. God's work in, from the beginning, the end is already finished. Our job is to enter into each day his works and find our rest in it. Though his works in every man's life, like his work in my life is finished for tomorrow also. Tomorrow is Sunday. It's already finished. Meaning in God's sight, I have already preached tomorrow. I'll be worrying tonight. I'll be sitting there. I'll be searching. I'll be studying and all. But in God's sight, I have already preached tomorrow. In God's sight, Monday is already done. Tuesday is already done. Though the works were finished from the foundation of the world, we have to enter into each of those days. That is what it means. God is outside time. We are not. We are not. That's that's a very incredible verse, verse 3. Even though, even though, even though, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, he said, they shall not enter into my rest. Enter into my rest. It's like Apu say, even though lunch is cooked, nobody will eat. It's not that nobody will eat because lunch is not cooked. No. 
lunch is cooked lunch is ready but nobody will eat even though he has made provision for all of our days he says you will not enter into my provision why because you don't believe me so in everybody's life this is the truth every child of god who comes into it he's already finished his work in us finish see the difference between the world and the believer is that the believer grows from rest unto rest unto rest unto rest unto rest the unbeliever grows from work unto work unto work unto work unto work both is a growth we grow from rest unto rest unto rest unto rest unto rest that's what god is talking about they did not enter my his soul did not enter into my rest let's go to hebrews chapter 3 and see why do we not enter into the rest even the brethren who are listening what is the key why chapter 3 verse 7 onwards therefore has the holy spirit says that's a, that's where the, the key is there see hebrews 3 1 to 6 is talking the difference between moses and jesus it's a different the law and grace one is a servant the other is a son both were faithful but the difference is one is faithful as a son the other is faithful as a servant and then seven onwards this says therefore as the holy spirit the holy spirit never said the holy spirit always says he speaks this is the living word the holy spirit speaks today today not yesterday that's a written word the holy spirit always speaks today today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts okay do not harden your hearts today if you hear his voice the simple thing is that why do people go from misery to more misery is because today they heard his voice and they hardened his heart in the days of trial in the wilderness you have to look at the whole world as a wilderness for the believers the whole world is a wilderness we are aliens and strangers in this wilderness but in this wilderness god will speak every day every day he will speak and he says when my spirit speaks don't harden your hearts okay come further down where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years It's not one day or two days, 40 years. That's a generation, 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. God was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. That's where we start going wrong first in our heart. And they have not known my ways. This is the whole danger of religion. You can be caught in a religion, know everything about the religion and never know the ways of God. And God has already made it very clear. It's not easy to know my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, that is the gulf between God's ways and our ways. But he says, you can know my ways. It is not that you cannot know my ways. You can know my ways. But the problem is, you can know it only by faith. If you believe me. If you don't believe me, you will never know you my ways. they have not known my ways the problem is when i do not know his ways automatically i'll go astray i'll go astray like if you were to blindfold my eyes and turn me or like the games we do with children five times and let me and says go then i'll go astray i should be going that way i will go and hit something else why because i did not know the way 
I did not know the way. And the entire Bible for the believer is a set of teachings which God says, what are the things that can take you astray? How do you keep your heart from going astray? How do you keep your soul being clean so that you hear the voice of God that he will lead you? And whatever he has, you have already heard and you know it is from God, you, all, it, you practice it so that it becomes part of your life. And then he can keep on. He doesn't give us information. Please remember, God is not somebody who gives us information. That's the government's job. They will give you 115 information about how to escape COVID-19. God doesn't give us all that information. He doesn't need any of those information. He will only tell you what we need for life. And once he tells us, if you don't believe it, he doesn't add to that information anymore. Okay, so Father, come down. Yeah. So I swore in my wrath. It's interesting. God also swears. And in his anger, they shall not enter my rest. This is an important concept in the Bible. Beware, brethren, lest there be any, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Like unbelief is the one that causes us to depart from the living God. Living God. Unbelief, like I said, unbelief is the worst sin in the Bible. One of the worst sin in the Bible is unbelief. Unbelief is the root of which causes all the other things that we don't believe. What God says whether it is good or bad, we don't believe. <laughs> Why don't people repent? Because they don't believe there is hell. <laughs> they don't believe. And they will only believe when they end up there. No, they don't believe. Departing from the living God. Verse 13. But exhort one another daily. So what is the ministry within the church? We exhort, encourage each other daily. Call today. So we got this opportunity. Today is 42nd day of lockdown, right? 42nd day of lockdown and every day, morning, evening, morning, evening, what are we doing as a community of God's children? Exhorting each other because it's still today. That means, why am I speaking to you? Because it's still today for me, meaning I have life. I didn't die last night. So I'm alive because if I'm alive, then I need to keep, we need to keep exhorting each other lest my heart gets hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's a very, it's, it is not the openness. It's a deceitfulness. It is deceiving. We don't even realize. We don't even realize because you know what? What they didn't realize, we also didn't realize. Okay, we woke up in the morning, everything is fine. We had our coffee or oh, black, black coffee or milky tea or whatever we had. And then we eat lunch and we dinner. Okay, 42 days we have been well fed like calves. They were also fed every day. Every day they ate. But they didn't realize their hearts were getting harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. That's the deceitfulness of sin. We look at all the provisions that is coming for our physical life without realizing internally because we are not believing and changing, we don't even realize our hearts are getting hardened and hardened and hardened. And what happened? Each one of in the older generation, one day he dropped dead. Though he was eating every day. He just dropped dead. If you look at his life, everyone looked good. But each one just dropped dead. And the whole desert was scattered with corpses. Corpses. Over a million corpses. Men and women. 600,000 men. Only two made from the older generation. Their wives. So that is 1.2 million people. 
were buried in the desert. Why? Because they were fooled through the deceitfulness of sins and they did not know their hearts were hardened. The sin of unbelief. Okay. Meaning they never possessed what God had promised. And Christ also has promised us something. He has promised us a life. A spiritual life. I have come to give you life. Don't let the enemy steal it. Let him not deceive you. Let him not. And that life is a life of rest. And if you come, for we have become partakers of Christ. See, we are not just partakers of blessings. They were partakers of blessings. We are partakers of Christ. The very life of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. I mean, if only they had practiced Pharaoh, all that kind of bondage, everything, Pharaoh, army, chariots, everything, Red Sea, panicking, all that understandable. And then God divides the Red Sea. That was something really, really big. Unlike the other things, what happened in Egypt, this is something right before everybody's eyes at the same time. The entire Red Sea is parting. And he made it hard ground for them. And they all walked through. Then they look, the pharaoh and the chariots are coming. Suddenly they realize, you know what? The ground changed. Water started oozing from the ground. The chariot wheels are all getting locked. And the water. So the enemy they feared all the days of their life is no more. In one second gone. And they all took their tambourine. They sang, they sang, they sang. That is how they should have continued from there till the end. A life of praise and worship. I am free. I am free. The one who enslaved me is free. The power of sin is broken over my life. Pharaoh will never enslave me again. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. They should have some. And see, three days later, where is water? Where is food? Why did you bring us here to kill? We are also told, we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, till the end, we don't realize we are partaking Christ. That's how Christ walked on earth. Nothing dazzled him. Nothing. From the beginning till the end, even on the cross, he had rest. Even on the cross, he had rest. He's able to pray and intercede, get somebody in, see that his mother has a house. I mean, imagine the eldest son on the cross, the firstborn of God. First forgives everybody. Okay, I also thirst. Okay, okay, that's okay. Okay, you want to get into the kingdom? You get in. Okay, mommy, you you take care of her. Okay, and you look at he's still doing his duty on the cross. That's rest. That's rest. Spiritual, physical. What he call disposing of his duties before he departs. Absolute rest. Body in excruciating pain. But soul, absolute rest. And God says you can have this confidence till the end. And let's go to verse 15. While it is said today, again and again it will come back to today. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. Unbelief leads to rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? 
led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? One word corpses, how many? 1.2 million. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So you have unbelief, you have disobedience, and you have rebellion. All coming out of that same root, what unbelief does. What unbelief does, who did not obey. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter. Why could they not enter into this rest? Because of unbelief. And you will see that. If you go to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 and verse 7. Got it? Yeah. He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And the sheep of his hand. How? Today. If you hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice. That's what I said. From any dispensation you look. And Jesus will put it across big in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. That voice is that brings rest. Today, he is our God. We are the people of his pasture. We are the sheep of his hands. Today, if you hear his voice. Verse, next verse. Do not harden your hearts as in rebellion, as in the days of trial in the wilderness. They were also sheep. We are also sheep. Those sheep became goats. And God says, don't become goats. Because there is a separation that will happen on that day. The sheep and the goats will be separated. Right now we do not realize sheep and goat is inside. Outside everybody looks the same. Everybody looks the same. But inside, he is, because when we came in, everybody was a goat. He's changing goats into sheep. But also in the process, some sheep are becoming goats. Because some sheep work better under the taskmaster's whip. But when they are given freedom, they become goats. Very strange. It's very strange. You keep the whip and they will say, Hazur, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, sir, ah, sir, sir, thank you, sir, sorry, sir, they will do. Give them freedom. Who are you? Who made you master over us? We are all of God. You see, they all changed. They all changed. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Now we need to realize, if you are a sheep, you are a sheep everywhere. It's the goat who pretends he's a sheep and when the restriction is changed, he becomes a goat. Right? If you're a sheep, you're a sheep at office, you're a sheep at home. But if you are not, you're a sheep at office, yes sir, yes sir, and when you come back, hey, where is my chai? Where are my slippers? What are you doing over here? He's become a goat now. So you are never a real sheep. Never a real sheep. But God is changing us, changing us, okay, so that we have one same format everywhere. Christ was the same. Christ was the same everywhere. He never changed. He never changed, okay. And he's making us like Christ. And the warning here is today. And that's why we, see the problem is we don't hear his voice. If he heard his voice, we'll see he has lots of things to say every day. We think we are perfect, so we don't have to listen. 
if we listen, we will realize how imperfect we are. He will keep on telling us the Lord. And he's very gentle, very patient, very kind. But he says, will you listen to me? Because he's got patience. We are the ones who are impatient, but he's got patience. But the question is, will we hear? Let's go to um, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Yeah, verse 8 onwards. If Joshua had given them rest, now we need to realize, the second generation believed. They didn't struggle with unbelief. They believed. And they entered. They entered. If you go to Joshua chapter 21, and verse 44, 21, and verse 44. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. So God gave them rest. But that was only a physical rest. It was only a physical rest. So Joshua gave them rest. Moses could not lead them into the rest, because the law cannot lead you into rest. There's a boundary, and after that, the law leaves you alone. Joshua takes you across, gives you victory over all your enemies, and you have rest. It's a picture. But the rest came out of battles. They had to fight. Have to fight. And their physical battles led to a physical rest from their enemies. But that is only a picture of the truth in the new covenant of our battles and what is real rest. Okay, so don't take it one-on-one. So we go back to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 8 onwards. Remember, they were to fight seven nations. If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. So meaning there's another day he spoke. There there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There's a rest for the people of God. Come down. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Okay. Have you know that? What he's talking about is this. How do you know you have entered his rest? Because you have ceased from his rest. Okay, I will tell you. Simple things you have to understand that we, we, we uh, differentiate between these two things. There are a lot of things which we do every day, which is, which is a regular part of our daily regime. And you will realize that we never worry about it. Do you worry about brushing your teeth? Or showering? No. You don't, you don't even think about it. Meaning if we have already rest about all those things. Lot of things in our day to day lives, we have rest about it. Because we have already entered it. We understood that has become part of our life. It has become part of our life. And there is nothing, Divine or not divine about it, but that has become part of our life because this is what Jesus also did, we also did. Now we may struggle with when to wake up each day. And we may not have rest about it because this is not, don't come under the law. Even that, we have to be very, very careful. We listen to the voice of God. Like you may have a tiring week and you will say, no, every day I wake up at five, God may say, just go to sleep. Your body is tired. Just go to sleep tomorrow. Wake up late because I need your body. And if your body is not rested, I cannot use you properly. So all, we never make a law out of anything except the moral laws which cannot be violated. We don't make laws out of anything else. 
Please be very, very careful about it. Moral laws cannot be violated because they are connected with the holy nature, character of God. Other things, there is a lot of leeway. We teach fundamental principles to our brothers and sisters in the church and leave them to listen to God. We will not say, oh, you didn't listen to last Sunday's teaching. From next Sunday, don't come to church because you didn't obey it. No. You leave it to them. Let each one grow in those things. Okay, so you will see in the Bible, there are certain things they were very, very tough and strict about. But most things, they gave them the liberty of the spirit. The liberty of the spirit. Give them room, space to grow into, grow into the stature of Christ Jesus. So we have to be very, very careful about that. We allow freedom. That's something which the Holy Spirit brings. Liberty is one of the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit because people will grow, thrive only in liberty. Only in liberty. Okay? But I may not exercise that same liberty for myself because I may know I have been given more knowledge and more power and more strength to walk in that, while I may exercise, give somebody else more liberty in that area, knowing that they have not come to that knowledge. You getting it? Like if you are a father, you may wake up, or a mother, you may, may wake up at 6 o'clock, while you may let your child sleep till 8. Right? You know why? Because you know, a child hasn't come to that point. Okay, so in that, all these areas, we need to be very, very careful how we exercise, how we exercise. Because why this is all important with hearing his voice and walking with God. David and all goofed up big time when they goofed up on these things. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So are then the things into which we have already entered into his rest and the stuff which he has told us to do, we have rest about it, but also there are certain things we have to be very, very careful where our ears have to be open to hear. Open to hear. Like in Elijah's case, Suddenly hears, go to King Ahab. He has to hear. Then he hears, go eastward, go in Kerith and sit there. And don't look for food, don't search for food, don't start farming there, nothing. I will send you food. So instructions are very, very clear. So these, I mean, these kind of things happen in our life. I'm not talking about spectacular things, but even in ordinary days, God will interrupt your daily routine. Interrupt your daily routine. And our ears have to be open to that. Interrupt. You have to, that's where being sensitive. He may suddenly wake you up at 2 in the morning and what happened? He'll say, 10 minutes pray and pray for this person. And you should be sensitive so that God can interrupt you. Interrupt. Okay. Interrupt. Like this morning, he told me very clearly, somebody in the church gave me the name also, needs help. So after this is over, I'll send him money. Very clearly told, that kid needs money. I said, okay, Lord, understood it is from him. It's not my imagination. Today is the second. He probably doesn't have money to pay his rent. Clearly. Absolutely clearly. And I checked it out and he's on Google Pay. Okay. So we have to be open to that. Very, very clearly open to that in our positions, wherever God has placed it, our ears have to be open to these things. Little things, big things, we have to be very, very sensitive because you know what? And when you hear his voice, 
do not harden. Oh, why should I help him? I need this money. Then suddenly things have gone. So your surrender is not real. So it's your money. Eh? You're not a steward anymore. Eh? So it's not yours. So now there's a division between my money and your money. Okay, all these years you said I am yours and all that stuff you said. Okay, so you have to be very, very careful whatever things he's talking about. No, why are you waking me up? I need to sleep. Oh, so now it's your sleep. I thought it was my rest. I thought you entered into my rest. Now your, my rest has become your sleep. Be, be prepared always for him to interrupt. Interrupt. Any man who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Meaning, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that God does not work. I mean, God always works from rest. God works from rest. Why? Because he has seen the end from the beginning. What is the end? Glorious. He says you should always work from rest. What is my end? Glorious. That's the only way you will enjoy your work. You know, everybody talks about work and everybody will say, what is that? There is no work satisfaction. Right? That is a com- constant complaint about why do people keep on jumping, 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 because there is no work atmosphere is bad, no work. Sat- Joseph was satisfied wherever he was. You realize he was a very satisfied worker with no salary. Very satisfied worker. You know why? Because he knew his end. In his end was glorious. We have to see what God is doing in us and through us and see the end. That's why these two final chapters of the book of Revelation are fantastic chapters. Glorious chapters. But you have to put yourself in those chapters and say, this is my end. This is my end. So, God works from rest. So, God does not... No, God does not like I'm t- um, talking about as a father. You know, when you're when you're a father, and imagine you got a small baby or a couple of small little ones. Sometimes they are sitting and you're working busily, and you see them over there, and they're struggling and with something to pull something, some not struggling. But you are at rest. <laughs> you look at them and you laugh. You know they're not going to die from that. They're not going to harm themselves. You're laughing at their frustration. And sometimes you need to realize God sits and laughs at our frustrations. He's not restless. Oh, poor fellow. Oh, poor fellow. Oh, will he commit suicide? Will he commit suicide? Oh, I need to enter. God, sister, and he laughs. Sister, and he laughs. You're sitting in heaven and laughing at all these people. Oh, did you bring us to die? Why are there no graces? Did I bring you to die? You will die because of your unbelief. You will not die because of any other reason. If you look at all those 1.2 million who died, they all died because of unbelief alone. Then nobody died of starvation. Nobody in that time, it was a 40 year quarantine. Nobody died because of starvation. Everybody died only because of unbelief. And God says it's true for my children even today. If people die, they die because of unbelief. They don't die because of any other reason. I have promised them. So the most important thing is verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent. You know what diligence is? Diligent each day, every day, diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobey. This is a problem with new new covenant preachers who never go to the Old Testament. 
and just pick one verse and just make a theology out of it which does not teach people to take the new covenant and explain the old, what happened there as examples. Because the entire Old Testament is examples of people who entered into his rest or did not enter into his rest. Full of examples of people who had periods of rest and they were incredibly restless when they disobeyed. Entire Bible, whole Testament is full of that. Full of that. And we learn. And when they were, uh, when they were in rest, it was the Spirit of Christ in them. And when they were restless, they had stepped out. The whole Bible. So the diligence is in one thing. Will you, will you, will you, will you, will you enter into my rest? Every day we have to fight. Every day we have to fight. And the question is, Okay, verse 11 is there. Verse 11 is there. We all want to enter rest. Yeah. We all want to enter into that rest. The question is, how do I enter that rest? The, this is just a, this is just a, what you call it, a wonderful idea. If you don't know how to enter that rest. The idea is fantastic. Awesome. Boy, I want to enter into God's rest. Question is, how do I enter into that rest? How do I enter into that rest? Right? That's what. The answer, yeah. It's a definition. That's in verse 12. The answer comes immediately in verse 12. Now look at verse 12. The word of God is living and powerful. The word of God is not dead. It is living. For the word of God to be living, it is, has to become the sword of the spirit. Romer Ephesians 6. Above all, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the word, it becomes living. And then it becomes powerful. Otherwise it is not. The Holy Spirit has to come upon it. Everything is connected with the anointing. The anointing comes upon it, the shield of faith becomes a shield of faith. Remember, Saul also had a shield, but it had no anointing, so he died. He also had a sword, he fell upon his own sword and died. Why? Because the anointing was not on. Instead of killing his enemy, he killed himself. Okay? So, sharper than any two-edged sword. Why does it say two-edged sword? Because it will cut both ways. It will cut you first. Ah, this is the key. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. That is the key. That is the key. Because salvation now is the salvation of the soul. And the soul has eaten from the tree of good and evil. The soul will tell you many good things to the believer. And you have discerned whether it is the good thought from your soul or is the spirit speaking. And it is the word of God. If you Allah will go there and cut it and separate it and say, this is not from me. This is from you. Doesn't matter how good it seems like. This is not from me. And you have to allow the spirit to go there and cut and separate there. And this is where many believers, all of us in our life, made good mistakes. I'm not talking about bad mistakes. Good mistakes. Intention was good. Result was terrible. We thought God said. Then after it was over, it's like Abraham thinking. See, Abraham is not breaking any law. Because law has not been given. He's not breaking. He's going by the law of the culture. 
Okay, the culture law says a woman does not have a baby if her husband has a baby through the maid servant. That is her baby. That is the law of the land. So he's not breaking any Mosaic law. No, Moses is not even born. He has to wait 500 years for the law to come. But the problem is that he did not, he took that idea as a good idea and thought this was from God without going to God. And the result was terrible. Result was terrible. This is where we struggle. And this is where we have to fight every day. The thing is that hearing from the Spirit is not easy. Before you hear about from the Spirit about what you have to do in terms of works, you have to deal with the other things the Spirit says about what you have to be. We want to ask, Lord, what should I do? Lord, what should I do? Go to the city. (laughs) It will be told you. First, let me make you what you should be before you do what you should do. Our struggle is always we want. We are like maidservants. Come in the morning. Madam, what do you want me to do? God says, you are not a servant. You are a son. You are a son. I will tell you what you need to be before I tell you what you need to do. Because Moses was a servant. You are my son. It's my son. It's my son. That's the difference in the new covenant. He says, you are not servants. You are not slaves. Slaves will always come in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want to do? Sons will come always in the morning and say, Lord, what are you upset about me? Am I okay? Am I okay? Are you are you okay with me? Are you okay with me? Dad yourself looks a little serious today. Everything okay? Everything okay? No maidservant will come in the morning and says, Madam, why are you so upset? No, madam, what do you want me to do? Right? But if you're a true child, you'll say, Mommy, what happened? You're not smiling like today. Anything okay? Everything okay, Mommy? Everything okay, Daddy? The difference between a son and a slave. Right? But often we act like slaves. We get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to do this, do this, do this. I'm going to office in the morning. I'm just saying, please cover me, protect me, take me. We didn't realize this, this is the prayer of a slave. Not the prayer of a son. The prayer of a son is different. Prayer of a son is different. The prayer of a son is in Hebrews 5.7. In the days of his flesh, he cried out with tears and vehement cries so that he would not sin. Lord, let me not mess your character up. This is who you are. This is who I represent on earth. Let my representation be right. Let me not sin. See, he's not worried about works. He's worried about who he is. Then what he should do. And because every morning he was more concerned about who he is, every day he heard what he should do. And what he should do did not tally with what they wanted to do. But it was absolutely clear what he should do. Why? Because he was always concerned about what he should be. What he should be. And that is where our ears have to be open. And how does it happen? When the word of God does not become a Bible study, it becomes living. We study the Bible, yes, but for what purpose? So that the word of God becomes living and it cuts. It cuts. This is the soul. This is the spirit. But life is here. Life is here. God is a spirit and he speaks to the spirit. 
speaks with the spirit. The, the soul has to process it. But for the soul to process it, there is a battle going on. The ideas of the world with which you came and still being blasted, bombarded with, and by the renewal of the mind with the word of God, every thought, every imagination, everything is being pulled down, replaced, pulled down, replaced. replaced. So when the spirit is speaking, God, the soul has to process, yes, that's God speaking. And this is the sword that cuts, it divides and tells you, this is from me. That is why hearing that voice is so important. And what happened under the Mosaic law, a little later, they had just the law and no voice. The voice is gone. Only the law. And without the voice, the law is a killer. It's a killer. You become so self-righteous, hard-hearted. The most tender, sweet psalmist of Israel can become a self-righteous, hardened sinner who says, who took the lamb? Four times over. I say, you. Four times over you will get. You, I didn't judge you. You judge yourself with your own mouth. You judge yourself. I didn't judge you. I didn't judge you. You pronounce judgment as a father over your own family. Four of your sons will die. That's what happens when the voice, because he hadn't heard the voice of God for a long time. For a long time he hasn't heard the voice. At all. Though religiously he must be doing outwardly all the ceremonies, sacrifices, everything, he has not inquired or heard the voice of God for weeks and months together. And the first time he will hear the voice of God through a second person is, you are that man. The first time he's hearing the voice of God. From there, if you accept, restoration will take place. So this is our problem. Our problem is there. Our problem. The dividing of the soul and the spirit every day. I gave you that example for the Hindi message, right? Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13 to 15. The Holy Spirit told Jesus. 30 years old. Absolutely hidden, quiet life. Why? Because the Spirit told him, stay there. And be a good boy. Take care of mommy. Take care of your family. Daddy is not mentioned at all. So as the eldest son, probably father is gone. We don't know what happened. Joseph is silent in the entire picture. Yesterday, they were all celebrating the feast of Joseph. You know, and asking Joseph to pray for orphans because he's the father of orphans and all some jugad they have made about it. And all the poor fellow is not even mentioned in the Bible anywhere. After the first few years, he's not even mentioned. His record is not there. The last time you hear is he came back from Egypt. After that, gone. Record is in 12 years. 12 years. Post Jesus 12 years, we don't hear him mention. Godly man. Absolutely godly man. We are not discredited. He's an unbelievably God. If God has to pick somebody to be his son's foster father, his character must have been incredible. Okay, But what I'm saying, we make him out to be something he's not. Putting him in a position over there and interceding, asking him to intercede and all that. Okay, But this is what. But look at what is happening over here. Jesus came from Galilee. Why did he come from Galilee to John? Because the Spirit of God told him at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him by saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? Verse 49, 50. Yeah. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. If you look at verse 14 and 15. Okay. Verse 14. John speaking is the voice of the soul. It's a good thing. If you look at what he's saying, he's absolutely right. Look, you should be baptizing me, not the other way around. But there's a man who has heard from the Spirit. He says, no, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting to us to fulfill all righteousness. How do you fulfill righteousness? By faith. Faith comes from hearing. If you do the other thing without hearing, you are not fulfilling righteousness. Even though the act is really, really good, it becomes an unrighteous act because it is contrary to what you have heard from the Spirit. This is the, immediately you see the division between the soul. Righteous, good, righteous man under the law. John, the man who is being led by the Spirit. And you see the division coming over there. And God constantly teaches us, please understand this, learn to allow the word of God to be living in your life. It has to be living. Today, 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 when my spirit speaks. Today, when my spirit speaks. Today, when my spirit speaks. Do not harden your heart. And let's come. How to find rest. This daily rest where we hear one of the most what do I call it? The biggest rest killer. If you can have a word like that. Something that takes your rest in the Lord. Like we looked at one of the major questions in last night. One of the biggest killers of rest is not worry or anxiety, fear. All that are there. But it is primarily unforgiveness. More than. Because God has Put us in a world where we need a lot of stuff. Along with that is connected worry, anxiety, fear and all. But primarily entire world is based on relationships. Love God and love man. The entire world is gone. Everything is finished. All that will be left is relationships. This whole world will be burned away. Everything will be destroyed. But what will be left? The people who are redeemed. Basically those who had a relationship with God and what one another. So the whole life has to be ultimately seen in the prism of relationships. How do you love God? How do you love man? You are pursuing holiness with God and peace with man. That's how we have to look at it. So we don't realize our worries, our anxieties, our fears are all connected with one thing, not hearing from God. Hearing from God. simple that. Everything else is secondary. You hear from God. Do not go to Egypt. It's like stopped. Go. Stop. Stopped. Stay in this land. Yes, Lord. So in this land. Yes, Lord. Where is God? Fear is gone. Anxiety is gone. Famine is taken care of. Because you heard. Father didn't hear. Son did not hear. In the middle. Isaac heard. And because famine didn't affect him the way it affected his father or affected his son. He thrived in famine. What was the difference? The only thing was that he heard. It's not just his action. The action is relevant. Because action could be different in another generation. The thing that you hear and you obey. In his case, God said so. In somebody's case, God will say, just lie in your hammock. 
That's what Elijah did. He wasn't asked so. He said, just like food will come to you. People think, oh, oh, okay, Isaac's pattern is the pattern for me. No, is it living? Did, did God tell you to do that? What did God tell Elijah to do? Okay, I'm sending you to chariot. There is a brook over there. I will tell you one thing. Take a spade also with you, okay? Do some farming over there. Before you leave Ahab, go to that seed store and buy some seed and go. Because I have a plan for you. I'll make a nice vegetable patch over there near chariot. Plant some seed. You can live there for two years. He didn't say any of these things. He didn't ask him to sow at all. So just stay there. Food will come to you. So we always think God has only one particular. The problem is once we go into Isaac's this thing, we make that into a theology as one time. What has happened? Now it has become a dead word. Is there power in it? Yes. But a lot of people will try to practice because now they are not listening what God is trying to tell them. Okay. What if Elijah said, okay, go eastward, go to Charita. Okay, fine, thank you. I know what to do because I know what you did with Isaac in famine. No. You have to hear. You have to hear. And the only way you can consistently keep on hearing is deal with the issues of the heart, of the spirit. And one of the most important part is that we all need forgiveness. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. That is the rest. The first rest is the most important rest. He who covers his sins will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Okay, so there are two things which God tells over there. He says confess and forsake. A lot of people confess but they don't forsake. A lot of people decide I will forsake and then one day when I am perfect I will go to God and confess. He says it doesn't work like either. It doesn't work. You don't have the strength to, to. I am the one. You just come to me. You confess and you forsake. When you confess, I clean you. Then you make your need to me, I'll give you the strength so that you will be able to forsake it. But this is it. He also says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. It will not prosper. That is where it begins. We need to realize forgiven people are blessed people. Psalm 32. 32.1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. We'll just look at verse 1 now. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now we are even more blessed because in their case the sin was only covered. In our case, old covenant, the sin is only covered. Every year the day of atonement, blood is offered, sin is covered. But he never covers, it is removed. It does not exist at all. He says, I will not remember your sins at all. If God has forgotten, I always say, it doesn't matter who remembers. Ultimately, the only person that matters is God. God says, I have forgotten your sin. It doesn't matter. hundred people keep reminding of you. It does not matter. It does not matter. If President Trump tomorrow gives General Flynn, a presidential pardon. It doesn't matter what the newspapers write. Guilty, 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 guilty. But he walks away free. <laughs> He's free. How does it matter what the newspaper? All you want to is walk free. You are free. Newspapers and tabloids can make hundred different things. He is guilty, he is guilty. But man is walking free. Why? Because the man who matters said you are free. So the only person who really, really matters is God. And when God says you are forgiven, you are a blessed.
blessed man, a blessed woman, a blessed child. Blessed is. And we have to walk in that every day. Forgiven people are blessed people. As long as we cover, God will not cover. But when we repent, confess and forsake, God says, I will cleanse it and I will remember it no more. The problem is so many people may be true about you. You may be feeling that I am more sinned against than I have sinned. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about what others did to you. That's not the problem. The issue is not what happened here. The issue is what you are receiving from them. That is what changes your life. And what you say may be true. People may have sinned more against you than what you have actually sinned. But what they did against you is not going to matter on that day when you stand before God. What is going to matter is what you did. What you did. They will be judged for that. But you will be judged for what you did. So we need to realize is first thing we need to clear with God. The problem is a lot of people get trapped by this. What the abuse they got from others. And they are trapped in it. Never come out of it. And their abuse could be severe. Terrible. God says don't worry about that. There's a day set for all that. Nobody will escape my court of judgment. Nobody will escape. A day is judged. Even if he is with all his money and influence, he or she escapes every court system in the world. There is a God who cannot be bribed. There is a God who will not judge by what he sees or hears. He will judge in righteousness. Nobody will escape there. So there is a day set for that. Okay. So don't worry about it. And that judgment is severe. Severe. If, it's, if you don't make peace with God now, that judgment is severe because it is eternal. Okay, so please remember, like we keep saying, there are people who have been wounded, people who are oppressed, but you need all three. You need forgiveness for your sins, you need healing for your wounds, and you need deliverance for your oppression. You have to identify. But, even if you're wounded and oppressed, you still need forgiveness. And even if you're not wounded or oppressed, you still need forgiveness. Forgiveness is common ground for all categories. Everybody needs forgiveness. And everybody needs various levels of healing and various levels of deliverance from oppression. But please remember, sin is the gateway. You can be sinned against by others. You can be wounded terribly by others. You can be oppressed by others or demonic. Yet, you can walk a life of victory simply by the power of forgiveness. When you choose to forgive, ask for forgiveness and choose to forgive, you are not justifying anything they did. You are simply saying, I will not be judged. All you are saying. You are not justifying anything. You are saying, I will not be judged. I am leaving it to higher authority. Now, I am not talking to people who are judges. <laughs> you are a judge. And don't misread this. Your job is to uphold the law. And a criminal comes over here, all the evidence is standing on there, he will say, no. 
I will not judge you. I will leave it to higher authority. Then God will judge you. No, he says, no, you stand in the place of the law. You have to uphold the law. So we are not talking about that. Like as a father, Pastor Vijay will have to judge his children. No, I will leave it to a higher authority. They will grow up as rogues then. He says, no, I put you in a place of authority. You have to judge and do appropriate punishments or corrections or whatever you want to name it, you have to do it. So we are not, we are not perverting justice here. Perverting justice here. No, we are not. Where God has given us authority, within those structures of authority, we uphold justice so that justice is meted out. But we are looking at a general principle in life. General principle in life is that, no? Like if you are a judge, you are a judge, you are sitting over there. You can see this in movies, you can see in courtrooms and all. When you hear, you get so angry. God says, calm down, calm down, calm down. Law doesn't get angry. Law just looks at the evidence. That's why that thing about the eyes blinded. Okay. I want to throw the book at you. I mean, I'm going to give you maximum punishment. Now, what has happened? You are perverting justice. You are perverting justice. Keep cool. Keep cool. Keep calm. Listen to everything. And then deal with according in a manner where justice and righteousness comes. Law, justice, and the result of it is righteousness. Otherwise, you can sit in a place of an authority and bring unrighteousness out. Unrighteousness out. So you have to realize these are important things that we don't get, our emotions don't get mixed up. That's why with that day when you're talking about parents and children, we said one of the simple things is consistency. What are you upset about? You're upset about an issue. So it's not that the child does something and you're very mad today and you give them left, right, center. Next day do the same thing, but today you are in a big mood and you ignore it. So you know you are not never were upholding righteousness or law or justice. It was your mood swing. So child also slowly learns. Law does not matter. You just have to keep on to that side. When the cop is looking that side, you can go this way. But if the cop is looking, stand there and pretend you are a good driver. Where did they learn? At home. How did they learn? Because of the way you dealt with issues in the house. Because the law they see. So we don't, we are not talking about perverting justice here at all. We are talking about real life daily situation. Really, really daily situation. Please remember this. When you are forgiving, you are not justifying anything they did. Anyone. You are just taking You're just doing one thing. You are not taking justice or vengeance into your hands. You are leaving it into God's. So you have to work with it. Like you are in a position where you see a baby being abused and you know it, then you will not say, I will not judge. No, you need to judge and report it to the appropriate within the sanctioned law. You have to do, you have to see that, you know. You cannot be a part of the problem. So you have to be very, very, very careful about it and do it delicately. Like Joseph saw his brothers messing up. He didn't go around telling everybody. He quietly went and told his father. Okay, so what he's trying to do? He's trying to work within the parameters. He cannot judge his brothers because they're all above him. But he also has to handle a situation because he is now witness to the whole thing. So what did he do? There's only one person he can go and report. He goes and reports to his father. That's all he does. He doesn't tell it to anybody else. 
So that is always, you always, that's where the wisdom comes. That's where the, you have to, even there, don't run in your soul. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you are not clear, go to an older, wiser person, godly person. Ask, what should I do in a situation like this? Okay. That's how you have to always move. Because the whole idea is that you're working it out, the kingdom of God. Joseph rose to the highest position in Egypt. Everything was put into his hands. Pharaoh said, you are next to me. Above you is only my throne. Everything I am putting in your hands. Question is, why did Joseph rise to the highest position in the, in, in, practically in this kingdom? Simple thing, because he was a man of mercy. He did not take justice into his hands. He didn't take justice into his hands. He didn't do it. It's not just justice. It's more than that. Justice is a different thing. He was a forgiving man. If he had not kept on forgiving, God would not have walked with him. Therefore, you know what? 13 years incarcerated with chains. He had rest. Every day he had rest. Question is, how did he get rest? We wish, Lord, if I were a slave, would I have rest? If I was sold into slavery, would I have rest? If I was chained and put into one of the worst dungeons to a prison like that, would I have rest? How can I have that kind of rest? But that is true rest. If you can have rest in your father's house, that's easy. If you can rest as a slave, then a slave as a prisoner, then that rest should be rest. So there must be something about him. That caused him to have that rest. Why? He won those war against his soul. In First Peter chapter one eleven, the Bible says this. Oh, two eleven. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims. So, what does that mean? Is the whole question. Do we wear black dhoti and black this thing, put two coconuts and go around? I'm a pilgrim. No, that's not what he's talking about. Who's a pilgrim? How does a believer become a pilgrim in this world? But detaching his mind completely from the ideas of the world. That's how he walks as a pilgrim. He's right in the middle of the world, working along with everybody else. But his, you get into his head, you will realize, you man, this man's thought life is completely different. Nothing of the world is in his head. That's how he's a pilgrim. Because he realized every thought in his life is warring against his soul. Why does the devil give you tidbits for your body? Because he's after your soul. He's not after your body. He's after your soul. Body, he also knows it is perishing. But he wants your soul. Maybe he's got some weird idea that if he can get this many number of souls into hell, maybe God will show some mercy and says, too many to go to hell. Now, what kind of weird ideas he may have, we do not know. What his ideas, what his wicked brains is working like. So he's after every man's soul. So these are the battle that you are fighting is the battle for your soul. And the biggest battle you fight for your soul is the battle of unforgiveness. More people are trapped by this one thing than anything else. Anything else. Because offenses will come, Jesus said. 
ഓൾഡ് പീപ്പിൾ യങ് പീപ്പിൾ എവരിബഡി ട്രാപ്ഡ് ഇൻ ദിസ് ഹ്യൂജ് പ്രിസൺ റൂം കോഡ് പ്രിസൺ ഓഫ് അൺഫർഗിവ്നെസ് and you have to win those battles that is how joshua got rest if you turn with me to joshua chapter 3 verse 9 and 10 pastor vijay will exemplify on this another day so i think he's already done quite a bit so joshua said to the children of israel come here again you see there's always a come here meaning there is an attitude of the soul you have to prepare yourself and really inside go to god to hear the words of the lord your god come here and hear the words of the lord the joshua said this he put it there has jesus jesus said this by this you shall know by this you shall know there is something by this you will know that the living god is among you by this you will know the spirit of god is living in you and the word of god is living in you how that he will not without fail drive out from before you the canaanites the hitites the hivites the perizzites the gergesites the amorites and the jebusites the seven nations who inhabit canaan these are seven territorial spirits that is in your soul and this is how you know the living god is in you every day you are fighting and winning the battles against them that's how you know the word of god is living this is not for knowledge this is for life once you have driven out these seven spirits you are at rest and every day they will try enough from outside to come in you fight you have rest peace is a result of war when you have enemies peace is a result of war that's why nations maintain armies maintain armies there are no armies and you have an enemy who is armed you will have peace you will have no peace is god living because remember for them it was a land was promised a promised land canaan so scripture will say god gave them rest at the end of the war from there we saw that from all their enemies in our case it's not a promised land it's a promised life we have a promised life but in our unredeemed spirit soul sorry soul these spirits war for our souls they may not be in that same order by the way okay in each person order could differ from place to place to place it cannot like over there what is mentioned first canaanite hitite right hivites perizzites gergesites and amorites and jebusites let one spirit over there fall the amorite the spirit of bitterness and judgmental spirit jebusites is a pride spirit of pride just because they are put at the bottom that doesn't mean uh, the order is like that order is like that. so these each of these spirits are different it manifests in different ways and none of them will will be win in one day if you look at the one over there put over there hitites hitites are the spirit of fear and discouragement and shame these are spirits you have to fight and people you remember right in the garden when adam and eve sinned the 
first two things that hit them is fear and shame. When, uh, though they immediately they made fig leaf garments and everything and all, but when Jesus came, when they heard the voice of God, they ran. When he was asked, he said, I was afraid and I was ashamed. Fear and shame came in the garden. The first two spirits to attack them was that. And man goes through fear. And he will always is shaming and fear going through the entire media. Why do people uh, commit suicide? Like uh, last week, one big rich guy committed suicide. One of the real rich guys in the Middle East committed suicide. It's all over there. He built a 42,000 square feet house in Kerala. And he committed suicide. Why? Because it was all alone and his neck high indeed. He does not want to face that shame before society because he was walking around probably. Now he doesn't. So what it is you that spirit drives him to shame. Shame drives them to suicide. Fear causes you all these things. You know? These things cripple you. That's why the Bible says any man or woman who comes to Christ Jesus is a new creation. You never have to live with shame again. Because he took on the cross, he became shame for you. That is why it's not like what you see in pictures. He was stripped. He became shame for you. Hebrews 11, uh, sorry, 12 and verse 2 will say, this is, yeah, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, scripture says, this is whom you have to look at. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, what? Despising the, for whom? For my shame and your shame. There was a shame on the cross. Absolute shame on the cross. The shame while you are living and the shame of the fact that you are dying on a cross. The worst death, meaning you are a cursed man. You die on the cross. And he took that shame. So all those who are listening and who will listen, don't carry the shame of the abuse you went through. He took it. Two people don't have to bear the same guilt about the same thing or the shame for the same. He took it all. He took it all. But you will only experience it when you choose as an act of will to forgive the people who shamed you, who abused you. This is not about them. This is about you. You want to walk in your freedom? Then you have to walk in the way Joseph walked in his freedom. That's how Joseph walked in his freedom. Otherwise, fear will cripple you. Fear will cripple you. Fear is a killer. Shame is a killer. Bitterness is a killer. But at the root of it all, you know where it stems from? It stems from unforgiveness. We don't realize it. All comes from unforgiveness. Otherwise, Joseph should be very ashamed. He should be very fearful. What is going to happen to me? How come he escapes all this? Can you imagine? To be like he must have been beaten that day when Potiphar. So you know how these people are. You see what cops do on our streets today. So what do you think those days? And his boss is the captain of the royal guard. So it must be his soldiers who picked him up. And the other slaves who were also very jealous of him must have beaten him up really nicely and great joy in tying all those chains around his neck and all he must throw in. The shame of it. Shame of it. The horror of it. The fear of it. Everybody gets fear natural when you are beaten up like that. Shame of it. But you don't see that in his demeanor. You don't see that in his walk. So how did he overcome it? How did Jesus overcome it? So Jesus' details are not given, but Joseph's details are given. 
How did you overcome it? Simple reason? Forgive. And Jesus is showing us from the first words on the cross is, forgive them. That is, he's, why is he saying it all aloud? For our sake. He's already forgiven them in their heart. But we need to learn. You know? And so many people do not have any, any, any rest in their souls. They're like Ahitophel. No rest in their souls. No rest in their souls. Bitter inside. That spirit has taken over. Bitter inside. Why? Because of what David did to my granddaughter, Bathsheba. What he did to my granddaughter. Never forgive him. Never forgive him. But he's king. I cannot do anything. But I will bide my time. Eternal says, eating him from inside. Eating him from inside. Eating him from inside. Waiting for an opportunity. And the opportunity is provided by whom? Absalom. David's own son. But the problem is, you know, this man is an incredibly brilliant, wise man. Where the Bible says, his counsel was like the Spirit of God speaking. But the problem is, the Spirit of God had stopped speaking to him a long time ago. Now all he has is knowledge and no life. If he had life, the Holy Spirit had said it. Don't do it. One, you throw in your lot with Absalom. You are throwing it with the wrong person. You have no clue, Ahitophel. I have already chosen Solomon to be next king. And David will never be killed. But I heard it all. That's my man. But he was so bitter inside with a head full of scriptural knowledge, able to give great counsel to kings, but cut away from the tree of life. Absolutely separate. Can't happen to anybody. Can't do anybody. This is the danger of being caught with this alone. Incredible knowledge of the word of God. He had incredible knowledge of the word of God. And Absalom and David leaned on to him for counsel. Only problem is, there was a man who heard from the Spirit. Simple prayer. Lord, turn the counsel of Ahitophel into foolishness. God said, yeah, no problem. Son heard you. Why? Because I saw the way you are running. You are willing to forgive even your, your rebellious son. You and I can get along well. You have a heart, a forgiving, merciful heart. So I can speak to you. So we learn from all these lives. Problem is, if you don't forgive, because you don't need power to forgive. Forgiveness, oh, I am not a judge to forgive. No. You don't have to be judged. You just forgive so that you can walk with God. You can have the rest of God. Because inside, if you don't forgive, what do you become? Though you have no power, you are judge, jury and executioner. That's what you are. You don't have power to bring it to place, but you are judge, jury and executioner. What if God gave you power? What would you do? Vridhanari? Ah. Why is she Pratiwatra? Whatever Pavitra, whatever she is. Prati, uh, Pati pra, uh, Vrata. Yeah, Pati Vrata. Why is she Pati Vrata? Because she is Vridhanari. But if she was young Nari, meaning if she had power, would she be Pati Vrata? God says, I look into your heart. You are judge, jury and executioner. 
But you're not doing anything. You know why? Because you have no power. What if I gave you power? Your heart will be revealed. Your heart will be revealed. Your bitterness, your anger, your filth, your revenge. Not even justice. Revenge will be revealed. That's what happened. As soon as David ran, Absalom took over. Ahitophel took over. He said, I'll tell you a way how to strengthen the kingdom. Take ten, not one, ten of your father's concubines. Ten. Pitch a tent upon the top of the roof and sleep with them in open. Why? He doesn't tell the reason. He gives a very nice counsel. That's how you strengthen your kingdom. But the reason? Because that's where he slept with my granddaughter. That's where he looked from there and saw my granddaughter many, many, many years ago. He looked at her naked body, took her and had her that day. I shall have it tenfold in public. But he didn't realize his whole heart is being revealed. This is not justice or anything. This is sheer bitterness and vengeance and now you have power, it comes. And God says, do you realize if you had power, what you would do? If you had power. But he says, I'm not going to judge you with having power. I will judge you as you are. I will judge you as you are. I will not judge, wait for the day when you have power and do it. I will judge you because this is what you are. This is what. The only difference is you don't have power. You don't have power. You don't have power. That's what God is talking about. That's where we have to deal with these issues. Otherwise we'll be judged for what we are. Even though we'll say, but I didn't do it. God said, you didn't do it because you didn't have power. So how do I become a rest? He says, just forgive. Leave it to me. Don't worry. Nobody can judge better than me. When I judge this fellow, if he does not repent, don't worry. Even your judgment will be nothing compared to me. So leave it to me. Leave it to me. But don't even look at that part. So we have to have the heart of David. Sorry, Joseph. Genesis 50, 20. But as for you, you meant, you meant, you thought, you intended. See, even in his words, he's very kind. He's only talking about their intention. He's not talking about their action. Your intention was this. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Okay. So the question is, can you believe it? If you are a girl who was abused as a child, can you believe it? Yes, the devil meant it for evil. But if I surrender my life and forgive my abusers, God can turn it around it for my good. That actually if your heart is cleansed, forgiven and the power of God comes, God can actually use you to minister to those who others who are abused. Can you have a very powerful ministry? Do you believe that God can? God is not saying what happened to you was good. He doesn't also say. He said you meant evil. I understand that. But the difference was you didn't factor God in. God was actively involved in my life. But why was God actively involved in his life? It's because, not because of the vision. You can get a vision and goof it up completely. All of them had visions. Saul also had a vision given by God. Jeroboam also had a vision given by God. All of them had. But the problem is none of them walked in a forgiving heart. 
a merciful, kind, forgiving heart. If they had walked like that, it would have been a different thing altogether, the way they all ended in their lives. But this guy also had a vision. But he walked with that kind, merciful, forgiving heart. And he was sinned against and he did not sin against any one of them. He was brutally abused for no fault of its. But he is able to look it around. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Question is, can you believe it? Sold as a slave, incarcerated for 13 years, absolutely innocent, and turn around and say that God meant it for good. I forgive you. That's what he's saying. I forgive you. The actual Greek word, one of the meanings of that Greek word forgive is release. I release you. I release you. We release both ourselves and others. And there's a real act of releasing when we open our mouths and say, Lord, I forgive them, I bless them in your name. And you will realize we are released. We are released. They no longer hold, hold us bondage in our heads. We are free inside. Otherwise, they are holding. They are holding. Bitter, bitter, angry, bitter. A lot of people, full world is full of angry, bitter people. And they don't realize this is one of the spirits that takes over your soul. Because simply because you didn't do what God said, forgive. And all, in every church in the world, any denomination, everybody knows the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. Even as we forgive those who, in that word trespass, everything is included. From murder to abuse to you, everything is included. There Jesus hanging on the cross. Forgive their trespasses. That is freedom. That's rest. Somebody said, true freedom is to know the right thing and having the power to do it. It's not knowing the right thing alone. Having the power to do it. Lot of people know the right thing. But they don't know the power to do it. Almost all alcoholics, alcoholics know drinking is wrong. And they see the effects on their family. But they don't have the power to stop it. Everybody who's, many, most, before they go over the top, drug addicts or whatever, they all know it is wrong. Plagued by guilt. They know what is right. They do not have the power. And that power comes only from God. Whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. And Joseph had the power. He did not have the, he did not wait for the power to come to him when he became prince of Egypt. He realized, even as a slave, I have the power to forgive. That is what people need to understand. I don't have to become a judge to extend mercy. No! I can extend mercy when I am a slave. He extended mercy towards his brothers when he was a slave so that when he became a judge he could extend even more mercy. That's the key. And he forgave from the heart. When he was a slave or a prisoner he forgave from the heart. In Genesis 40 verse 15. 40-15. 
For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also have done nothing here that they should put me in the, into the dungeon. Did he tell anything what happened to the butler? He knows this guy will. He already interpreted his dream. He already knows this guy is going to the king. He said, let me tell you my story. This is what happened to me. You know what? I am, my mother died when I was small. I have a younger brother and I have ten stepbrothers. You know what they did to me? Oh, you have no clue what it. I will tell you the names also. Okay. Did he say anything about Potiphar or his wife? No. Can we just deal with the issue? And leave the personalities out. We can. If we are forgiven from our heart. Issue is an issue. People I have always forgiven. I have forgiven those people. I have forgiven my brothers. I have forgiven Potiphar. I have forgiven Mrs. Potiphar. Forgiven them all. I am not holding it in my heart. Years later. Another nine years later. The brothers are all there. Genesis 45 verse 1. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him and he cried, Make everyone go out from here. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph made known himself to his. What did he do? He got all the Egyptians out because he did not want to know them to know anything that happened between him and his brothers. That's none of your business. This is between me and my brothers. Get out of this place. This is a family matter. This is not for Facebook. This is a church issue. It's a family of God. This is not for YouTube. It's a family matter. We will deal it as brothers. Everybody out. Everybody out. You see, the forgiveness, what he did there is coming out as life. Coming out as life. This is the truth. This is how the power of God lives in us and through us. This is how Christ is manifested in the lives of people. This is when the word of God becomes living and it's not a dead letter. 45 verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Come near to me. Don't stand far off. I am not bad at you. I am not angry with you. Why are you standing so far away? I think about it. In your heart, people who hurt you, upset you, are they far or are they near? Lord, I have forgiven them, but I never want to see them again. Really? Even when he pretended he was very angry with this thing and all because he knew they had income. Now he knows if he puts his feet ahead of time, then their repentance will never take place. But he never held anything in their heart. So we have to realize how he's like the prodigal son's father. He loved him like crazy. But he knows if he steps forward one day ahead, that fellow will never come out of the pig pen. He will take his second lot of father's money and stay there. So he loves him. So you need to understand everything is genuinely motivated by love. Not anger, not hatred, not bitterness, nothing. Because a lot of people are so angry, they cut off. You walk like that. God says, you cut them off, but in the process you 
cut me also off my life because you cut you cut yourself from the tree of life i want to restore you i want to restore you i cannot speak to you naomi naomi i want to redeem you but i cannot speak to you you're so bitter though your name is pleasant you are so bitter but you know what there's a young girl there a moabite girl over there yes i told moab is my wash basin i'll spit on it but you know what that child is different i will not spit on her i will dwell with her i'll redeem her i will redeem her and she will be called one of my grandmothers jesus wants us to come close joseph wanted his brothers to come close and god says i'm looking into your heart how close are those who hurt you how close in your heart many of them you may never see in life at all that's a different thing but that's not the point in your heart how are they Luke 16:26 Our character on earth will reflect our reality in heaven. Besides all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. If I live and die as an unforgiving man because I kept everybody far away when the next life comes I will realize there is a huge gulf between me and those I refuse to love. just a manifestation of what was happening down here only thing there the gulf can never be bridged he says oh, you had time for that here oh rich man rich man was he just near your door two steps three steps he was there did you bridge that gap no he condemned him judged him look at me look at you i wonder what your father did your grandfather did foolish foolish fellow give him some crumbs head to toe his sins his sinner is always at my gate now there is this huge probably that man is forever praying for this man saying lord thank you thank you at least i get some crumbs from his table bless him lord bless him lord bless him lord is such a nice man two different people and then suddenly there is a change both die now there is a huge gulf where was the gulf in the heart in the heart that's what god is talking about and this is true for even believers sadhu sundar saying in one of his mystical revelation i'm not putting it across as a doctrine says in heaven there are seven levels the seventh level is the saint who has been perfected and he says level 7 saints can come to 6 5 4 3 2 1 and fellowship six can go can't go to seven six can go to six five four three two one five can't go to six and seven five can go to four three two one one cannot go anywhere everybody is blocked from everybody why because that is how you forgave that is how you allowed god to function in your life well the seventh level one has absolute liberty of the spirit in eternity absolute now that's one of his visions we are not putting it as a doctrine but sometimes it looks plausible possible plausible 
So do we see our lives differently? If you go to verse 5 of Genesis 45. 45. Now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Look at that. Who's comforting whom? The ex-slave is comforting the slave traders. The abused victim is comforting the abusers. Let me use modern terms. The butterfly is comforting the master. If you hadn't sold me like this and used me like this, I would have never come to know God. And I look into my eternity. I'm a child of God now. Only because all these things happened and I ran into God. God has delivered me. I look back into my life. It was all wrong. It was all terrible. But today that's not what I am. Today what I am, I'm a child of God. I'm a princess. I know where I am going. My eternity is secure. You know what? Don't be grieved what you did to me. Or be angry with yourselves. Because you sold me. Oh, you Canaanites. You are a trafficker of souls. But because you sold me, God preserved life. You know how perspective changes when you look into eternity? And most people, actually it is true. If they hadn't gone through these things in life, they wouldn't have encountered God. Most people have encountered God when life was not good and nice and all. When they ran into trouble, trials, testing, problems, marriage breakups, children rebels, drug addiction, alcoholic, sickness, in the ICU. That's where all people encountered. Wherever Jesus went, who were the ones who were flocking all around him? All the sick. Right? The Pharisees were fine because they kept the Levitical law, A12, and they were very strong. So they didn't want any. They never experienced a touch of God. But all the sick and the sinners and everybody experienced his touch. Turn around, you can always say, you know. Martha was never touched so much by Jesus. She invited him to his house, gave him a good meal and all. But Mary was somebody we do not know. Her real, is it Mary and Mary Magdalene the same thing? We do not know. If it is the same thing, then this is the one who actually experienced the touch of God and therefore she sits at his feet. So you ask yourself, who is the more blessed? The one who never went through any trouble in life or the one who went through hell in life? If you look in eternal terms. That's what Joseph is saying. Don't grieve yourself. Angry with yourself. Don't. That's a forgiving spirit. Forgiving spirit. He's a good man. He's a good man. Oh, it's 12.4. Let's read verse 7 and let's close. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. You know that's how it really happens. One man goes through. And then that man has to go through hell. Or a woman has to go through hell. Then that person or that woman. Brings others into the kingdom of God. It's always been a pattern. Always been a pattern. Even till now that is what's happening. 
one person comes out of the circle, comes and delivered, now what's the person does? Bringing others in. Bringing others. Come, come, experience. We have freedom. It is possible. We were told all these years, you can, the old Cali- Hotel California song, which is actually a circle song. You can check in. No, you can check in, but you can never leave. You can never. You can check out, but you cannot leave. You can never. Once in the circle, always in the circle. If you leave, you will die. It is not true. It's not true. There is liberty in Christ Jesus. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Suddenly your life has become a testimony. Right? Where did it begin? It began in scripture. Remember the woman at the well? She left a pot there and ran to the men of the city and said, come and see. Come and see. This must be the Messiah because everything that I have done, he said. What does it mean? He didn't condemn me. I received mercy, forgiveness, acceptance from somebody. All these years I had to come in the daytime, in the midday to the well. I can't come in the morning because the women won't talk to me. They talk talk rubbish. I can't come in the evening because I'm a scorned woman. I have to come at the midday hour when nobody goes so that nobody is there. Shame, fear, scorn. There was a man who told me he knew everything which you guys also don't know all the details. He knew it all. He didn't condemn me. And he set me free. Come and see. Scripture says they all went. Scripture says they, many believed in him because of her testimony. Because it's no testimony than the testimony of a man or a woman who's set free. That's the life of Christ Jesus. Free. That was the testimony of Joseph everywhere. In his father's house, as a slave, as a prisoner, as a prince. Always a free man. Because the word of God is living. The word of God is living. And we have to come to that every day. The cutting of the soul and the spirit. Out of that will arise a ministry. Out of that will arise a ministry. Then when you minister, it is life. It is life. All my dear ones who are going through their brokenness, anger, misery, just hand it over to Christ. Just hand it over to Christ. He saw it. He knows it. He went through with you through it all. He was on the cross for it all. He took it all upon you. But just act of faith each day when that anger comes. You have to do it. Act of faith. One day, two days, three days, four days, suddenly you realize it's gone and you are free. You have to lift up your hands. Just say it by name. Father Lord, in the name of Jesus, I forgive so and so and so. And I not only forgive, I choose to bless them. You have to do it constantly. And I believe for 13 years, Joseph did it in the prison. Every day prayed for his brothers, forgive them and bless them. So that when that day came, they sat, stood before him. All he had was great compassion and he fed them. He filled their sacks with grain, put their gold back and sent them. Why? Because that's what he had been doing every day in prison. To bless them. To bless them. To bless them. So when the opportunity came, he's able to bless them. We are not able to bless when we see our enemies because we haven't blessed them in our prayers before they come before us. When the opportunity comes, we walk away. But God says, no. Be like my Joseph. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Then one day I will give you the opportunity and you will be proved. You are a true man. Not only in your prayers, but your works also tally. Faith without works is 
dead. You had the faith and the right confession. Now you have the work to. You are a perfect man. You are a perfect man. So we have to do it constantly in our minds. Constantly in our minds. Constantly. That's a final test for David before he can become king. One more test for you, David. Yes, you repented. I saw your tears. You're weeping, 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 weeping. You're not weeping over the loss. Also that, but you also realize what you did to me. I see. So I'll give you. Pursue, overtake, recover all. And they are running to get on the way there is a wounded Egyptian. Let me see. Are you a man of mercy? Because you're going to be king. Three more days. David does not know. Three more days. Just three more days. 72 hours from your breakthrough. 72 hours before that is the darkest day of your life. I'm going to see whether you're going to stumble or not. If you stumble now, you're gone. But if you stand now, three days later, you're king. Saul is dead, you're king. Three days. Three days. You know what? In the midst of all that turmoil and anxiety, he shows mercy. Like I said, only kings can show mercy. Real sign of royalty is not the crown on your head. It's the mercy in your heart. That is royalty. Joseph was a king in prison. He was a king showing mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. Never perverting justice, but showing mercy. And all of us, our deliverance lies in that. We don't realize. That's why God put that one clause in the Lord's prayer. Everything is free. One clause. Forgive. And then comes back at the end of the prayer and again reiterates, if you do not, neither will your father in heaven. He says, no. This is the true mark of a child of that father. Forgive and walk in forgiveness. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I commit all of us here, listening out online, every dear one, brother, sister, child, young teenagers who've been abused, oh Lord, so many, three generations of who have been gone through all that abuse. Some people who have gone through unbelievable, unimagined, none of us will able even to able to understand the abuse they have gone through all their life. They were abused and they were abusers. They were caught in that terrible circle, Lord. But to everybody, the word of God is the same. The word that was spoken from the cross. Father, I forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. We will not take justice in our hands. We are not seated on that chair. We will not take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to you. All we have been taught is to forgive. And the Spirit of God will set your people free. And I pray every one of them constantly will practice this. To lift their hands up and forgive and let go. Release themselves and release others. And they will truly, truly experience the power of the living God. That come against every demonic entity that binds the hearts and minds and souls of God's people. I command these spirits to leave in Jesus' name. Release God's people in Jesus' name. Let them experience the power of the Holy Spirit. The liberty of the Holy Spirit. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Set them free, Lord, from the chains within. So that they will start hearing the voice of their heavenly Father. And they hear that voice. 
they'll be strong, they'll be comforted, they'll be healed, they'll be delivered, they'll be forgiven, and they will walk free. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Commit the rest of the day into thy hands, O Lord. Be with us. Go before us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.